Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Olivia Mentor. And today's episode is all about my book, Baby, The Christmas Orphans Club. We thought since it is coming out in the world next week, we thought it would be fun to compile the last three years of working on it. And we have brought on my editor and my agent to talk about how my book got made. Yeah, we just finished this interview and now we're kind of working in reverse and recording the intro. But I literally had like physical goosebumps at the end of this interview. I think it is like just the most, it was the most like life affirming, inspiring conversation to be part of. And it was just so cool. I mean, on a personal level, it was like a 37 out of 10. I almost cried twice. Like it was I also almost cried, to be honest. (laughs) It was very special. So I'm very excited about this. And just to have this recorded for posterity, even if nobody else listens to it, so I can just listen to it over and over. (laughs) You should. You should. I'm a big believer in like making sure you remember the good stuff. I'm terrible at that. So you keep me accountable. Oh, I will. I will. What's your high other than this? Oh my gosh, this is absolutely my high. But my other high is I have had a little like writing breakthrough almost. So my focus has been so shot and I've found it really hard to keep writing book two as we get closer and closer to my book coming out. And earlier this week, I tried for the first time ever writing longhand And I've seen Ellen Hildebrand does this. Hannah Ornstein does this. I've seen a lot of other writers do this. And I've always been like, oh, I don't think I have the hand strength for that. But I did it and I really, really enjoyed it. Really? Yeah, it was really helpful because obviously if you're writing with a pen and paper, you cannot check your phone. You cannot do other things. And I found it really satisfying. It really kept my attention. And it also because you don't have enough room really to like go back and make corrections. You know, you can cross things off, but like once you're two paragraphs down the page, like I wasn't going back and fixing things. So it really kept things moving too. I really enjoyed it. So I've done it three days in a row now. And then I obviously bought pretty legal pads from Amazon to improve the experience aesthetically. They're beautiful. I did appreciate the uh, Instagram photo you shared with them. Well, I mean, you of all people, you just had your newsletter about school supplies. Like I got a, mm. it's Virgo season. It's back to school. <laughs> I deserve this. You do. You absolutely do. So I don't know. I don't know if it will continue to be how I write. I don't know if I'm becoming a longhand first drafter, but I'm really enjoying it right now. Keep us updated. I will. You can't stop me. Uh, what about you? What's your high? My high is that, so we had a bad storm last Thursday night and we lost power for 24 hours. So no power, no window unit AC, no internet. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do this thing I've been putting off, which is our town, they're trying to get it nominated or yeah, I guess nominated or defined as like a national historic district. And so in order to do that, you have to look up the history of your house through deeds. And I've always wanted to do this because we know literally nothing other than the things that I've had to like hunt down on the internet myself about the history of our house. So I had no idea how this process works, but I went to the deeds department downtown and I found the deed of the previous owner. And then how it works is like, it gives you a book and a page, and then you have to go find that book and that page and the previous deed. 
historical Sorry, treasure hunt. <laughs> it literally was. And like you start out on the computers, but then eventually you get to this point where they only have the old physical copies. So we started out with book like 800 and we eventually worked our way back to the 12th book of deeds for <laughs> the county so that we cool. live in. Back to 1859. And so once we got to 1910, it was all handwritten. It was like the signatures of the people that had lived here. We saw the names of like, we think the first people that lived here. It was just so cool. I can't explain it. And like, you had to like run through the aisles and like find the book and the book's like four feet tall. (laughs) Supermarket sweeps meets historical treasure hunt. I I was like, everyone is in this office doing, I have no idea what I was beaming as if I was on some sort of a treasure hunt, literal treasure hunt. It was just so cool. I enjoyed it so much. And if you have an old house, I really suggest doing it because it was completely free and honestly more entertaining than most things I've done lately. So have you now also gone back to research all of the past owners? Like, is there a last great American dynasty situation happening here with any interesting previous tenants? I haven't quite figured that out yet. I have to do some more research with newspaper archives and stuff, which I'm looking forward to doing. But I do know that the names of the original owners that we can tell were Levi Leroy and Anna Maria Leroy, which I feel like is very Very glamorous. Very glam. <laughs> and whenever I say their names now, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm summoning the ghost. So I'm like, I was rest just, in peace. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was like, will you get mad at me if I say it's like getting to know all of your ghosts? <laughs> it it kind of, it is like that. It is like that. But yeah, it was cool. Oh, that's so cool. What is your low? Oh, so I had to turn in my first sample materials for my second book. I had my first deadline and I had to turn in three chapters and uh, outline or synopsis. And I am waiting to hear feedback on them. And obviously I'm already very anxious about book one. And I'm just going a little bit bonkers as I wait for, for feedback. Did this interview help you feel better about it? Like, did it remind you that like you felt like that during so many different steps yes. of this process? Yes, my brain is the most unreliable <laughs> part of this process. And yet it's the only reason why you're here. So I know. You, sh- you should. <laughs> but I can't calm down. <laughs> so, uh, that's understandable. Yeah, I just, the waiting is, I don't know. I feel like my brain also just like wants something to spit about. So it's it's picked this. But you have a real problem. What's yours? Well, I hinted at this last week. I was like, I, I have some bites, bug bites on my wrist or like a maybe a little poison ivy issue. Well, the poison ivy issue is not so little. I had no idea about this, but poison ivy spreads like all over your body. It's not just like you. I thought it was like you touch the plant. Your hand now has poison ivy. You wake up the next morning. You're itchy. The next day it's gone. No, no, no. It spreads throughout your body for like weeks. So I am on day nine, day eight or nine of having poison ivy. No, Um, I've been on steroids to stop the spread since Saturday and it is still itchy. Oh, it is horrible, horrible. I really don't recommend. Is calamine lotion still a thing? It is. I, yeah, I've been using hydrocortisone cream Mm -hmm. and then the steroids, which the steroids have very annoying side effects too, including hot flashes, (gasps) um, which I don't recommend, although it does make me feel very energized in the morning. But anyway, it's just been annoying. And um, God, I'm learning a lot out here in these streets. These streets, I mean, the garden. (laughs) 
So these um, the it's getting better. Slowly. <laughs> yeah. Slowly, slowly, slowly. It's getting better. So that's good. Oh, man. Well, let's take an ad break and get into this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you know me, you know that one of my most important mental health care habits is to avoid using my phone in bed every night. I used to reach for my phone every single time I started to have an anxious thought. My mind would race and I'd scroll so I didn't have to address or get to the root of my anxiety or restlessness. This, as you can imagine, is not really such a great pattern. Therapy has been one of the things that has helped me realize how much I was using my phone as a crutch, though, and has helped me stop that habit. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be flexible, convenient, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief online questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Being able to talk to a therapist every week about how my everyday habits impacted my mental health is probably the only reason I have been able to set and reset when necessary boundaries with myself when it comes to things like using my phone in bed. I don't know if I would have ever held myself accountable to really take care of myself had I not talked about all of it with my therapist at some point. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad on paper today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash bad on paper. I'm so excited to have two of my absolute favorite people here today. My agent, Allison, and my editor, Marie, are with us to talk all about how my book got made because I feel like all of this context is kind of spread out through going on three years of episodes. So we thought we would put it all into one with lots more information and behind the scenes to hopefully get you as excited as I am for my book launch next week. So... Introductions to start. First, we have Allison Hunter. Allison is a co-founder and literary agent at Trellis Literary Management, where she represents commercial, upmarket, book club, and select literary fiction, as well as some nonfiction. She is always looking for books about love, friendship, and secrets. And then we also have my editor, Marie. Marie Michaels is an associate editor at Pamela Dorman Books, which is an imprint of Penguin. She edits fiction, but reads just about everything. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. We're so excited to have you. So excited to be here. I feel like my worlds are colliding. Yeah, thank you for having us. I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time. So I feel like, you know, I'm with celebrities right now. Well, I've been a fan of yours. (laughs) So I feel like I'm also with a celebrity. (laughs) Same from afar. And I was also about to say, I wish that everyone at home could see Allison's office. It, It looks like a fake like book library office dream room zoom background but it very real it's just books everywhere beautiful it's just, it's very impressive it looks like well, she's I in a bookstore Becca's book on the shelf I hope you can <gasps> see it it's small but it's there and it's it's right there oh um, yeah I can see it next to some some recent favorites oh, love I love it so let's get into talking about this wonderful book. Becca, I'm going to start with some questions for you. So any listener out there who has somehow not heard about your book, will get all of the details before we get into the the nitty gritty of how exactly it was made. So yeah, you're our cruise director today. I'm just following (laughs) you. (laughs) All right, great. I feel I feel so much power. Okay, give us the pitch for your book for the Christmas Orphans Club. 
Okay, so I feel like I've been giving the abbreviated pitch, but if there was ever a time to give the longer-winded pitch, I feel like it's now. Do it. You have the floor. Thank you. So the book is about two people, Hannah and Finn, who meet in college when they're the only two people on campus on Christmas, and they go and have this kind of fun unexpected Christmas adventure. And that turns into a tradition that lasts a decade. And over the course of those 10 years, they add in two more Christmas orphans to their tradition, Hannah's roommate post-college Priya, and then the mysterious Theo, who Finn meets during a one-night stand. (laughs) And the four of them have this like very tight-knit friend group. And so the book is told in alternating now and then timelines. And so in the past, you get to see kind of the greatest hits of their past Christmases and how this friend group came to be. And then in the present, Finn announces that he is moving from New York to LA and the group is planning what might be their last Christmas together. And Hannah is kind of spiraling and wants it to be their best Christmas ever. And so the book is very much about found family and kind of building your own traditions. And it's also kind of a coming of age story about that time, that inflection point in your life in your late 20s, when it goes from your friends being the most important people in your life and people start having more competing priorities around work and relationships and other things. And this group is really grappling with how they can grow up without growing apart. And so was that time in your life, like the inspiration for the story? Were there other things that sort of made you feel like this is the book that you wanted to write? No, my personal experience wasn't really an inspiration at all. It was really more like wish fulfillment almost. So it's funny. I think like the podcast listeners were a really big inspiration behind the book because in December of 2020, I kept getting questions on Instagram Q&As about what were my favorite Christmas books. And I realized that I just didn't really see myself in any Christmas books. I hadn't found any that really like reflected my own experience, which is, you know, I love everything about Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the food. I love the traditions. But having lost my mother when I was a teenager and having a very small biological family, the actual day of Christmas itself can kind of be a bummer. And so I started to think about what would I want to see in a Christmas book And I thought of this group of friends and it was almost like fun to fantasize about this group who had something that was better than the traditional Christmas traditions where they had built their own thing and it was really special to them. And so it was almost like, oh, wouldn't that be fun to see reflected as opposed to so much Christmas content tends to be like very small town and very family oriented. And so I wanted to create something that was totally different. And it was almost just like a fun fantasy exercise. And so how long was it between when you had that idea and when you started writing? And I know you've talked about this in the podcast a lot, so listeners may know, but also tell us when exactly you started writing this first draft. So it was in the same month that I had the idea. So I started writing, I want to say it was actually the week between Christmas and New Year's of 2020. And so I'd been percolating on this idea. And I have this very clear memory of walking into the city over the Williamsburg Bridge with my friend Rachel and telling her the idea. And she was really into it. And that made me more excited. And then I just had kind of been turning it over and over in my brain. And I was off from all of my consulting clients were closed for the holidays. And I remember sitting down and I think I ended up writing like five or 6,000 words that week in December. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm into this. I didn't like do an outline. I just sat down and started writing it. 
And did you have a routine after that going forward? Were you like, okay, I'm all in for this amount of time and I'm going to do this every day. Like what did your day-to-day look like when creating this? I kind of had a routine. So my routine was supposed to be that I wrote every morning from 10 to noon. I was still consulting and I would get online at nine and I would do all my email triage. And I was lucky that all of my clients were on the West Coast. So none of my meetings or calls started until noon. And so my goal was to then clean out my inbox and then write from 10 to 12 every day. The reality was I had a lot of trouble with commitment to the project. And, you know, I had other things going on. Like I'm not being too hard on myself, but I was probably consulting like 30 hours a week. In 2021, when I was writing the first draft, we wrote, directed, and produced two seasons of rom-com pods from start to finish. So I had a lot going on. And so there were full months that I didn't even touch it. But like my ideal was that from 10 to 12 every morning, that was my writing time. And it took you a year, right? To do the first draft? Yeah, it took me a year. I, I set a goal that I wanted to finish by the end of the year of 2021. And I should have pulled out my spreadsheet where I tracked my words because I feel like probably a lot of it got written in Q4. Like I had maybe 30 or 40,000 words in October. And then I was like, oh gosh, got to double down, got to <laughs> gotta hit this goal. But I really, I hated the idea of having a half unfinished manuscript in a drawer that I feel like every writer talks about in their origin story. So I was like, I'm going to finish it. I have to finish it. It was very weirdly determined that I needed to finish it and I needed to finish it by the end of the year. And you did. I did. And, and look at you now. So I feel like most Battle on Paper listeners know you as like our resident romance expert. Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe it surprised people that this book isn't a romance. And can you talk a little bit about why you decided to focus on friendship instead? I don't know that I ever decided. From the very second I thought of this idea, it was always the friendship was the center. And actually, as I did more drafts, a lot of it was fleshing out the side romances. The friendship was what came first. And I think I liked that it felt different because there's so many books about romantic love, but so many fewer about platonic love. And I know I always get really excited when I find a book that's about friendship. And so I really liked that this kind of sat somewhat outside, but maybe was written tonally similar to a rom-com, but it wasn't even a conscious choice. It just, it just happened. And to be honest, I'm writing my second book right now and it is a romance. And I, I think it's harder to write a romance. You think? Why I do. do you think that? Because it's, it's really hard to build up this one romantic relationship and get people to be invested in it. Yeah. And I feel like friendships also have so many more layers and years yeah. to them often. And it's yep. like, there's so much more you can explore. Whereas romance, of course, there's tons. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's kind of surprising that you would think that. But the more I think about it, I think you're maybe right. Yeah, it's but I was surprised too. I thought it would be, I don't know, maybe because of how many there are, I thought it would be easier to write a romance. And I'm not finding that to be true. So what about traditional publishing versus like self-publishing? We get a lot of questions about that when it comes to your book. Did you always know you wanted to go sort of the traditional publishing route? Did you ever consider self-publishing at all? I never considered self-publishing. I definitely told myself a lot during the process of writing it that I did have the option that I could not publish it at all. I had to finish it, but that I didn't have to show anyone or if it was bad, 
it could be my secret. So that I definitely told myself a lot, but I never thought of self-publishing it, honestly, because of my ego, because this was such a bucket list thing that I had always, I've just always been such a reader that I I wanted to have that printed book. I wanted to have, I mean, oh my gosh, having the little penguin on the side is such a special big deal to me because I remember being in high school at Barnes and Noble and browsing the Penguin Classics table. Mm-hmm. That was probably the first publisher that I was aware of when I was a kid or a teenager. So yeah, I always wanted that mark of approval because I was like, this is a bucket list thing. I, I maybe wasn't even thinking that this was a career change, but I was like, okay, if you're going to do it once, you have to do it. Not that self-publishing is not official, but I really wanted that like institutional stamp of approval. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think you had more moments throughout the process where you were telling yourself like, it's okay if you never publish this versus you're going to publish this? Oh, I was the last person to believe in this book. I remember sharing it with, I think, five friends after I was probably the third draft. And I was waiting for people to just like rip me a new one (laughs) and be like, you have no business doing this. And so, yeah, I, I like very much, even until we were selling the book, I was like, yeah, there's like a decent shot that nothing happens with this. And this is just some folly that... I pursued for a year. Well, I guess this is a good place to bring in Allison, your agent, who obviously has been the cheerleader and champion behind this book, in addition to all of us who have read it and loved it in your life. Allison's the lady who made all my dreams come true. I guess Marie is too, but... (laughs) I was going to say, I did not do it alone. (laughs) But Allison was the first lady who made all of my dreams come true. That's a special thing. It's a very special thing and and very powerful and cool. But it is special. It's the best part of my job. I have done this for a long time. And that moment when you get to tell someone your book is going to be a book, it's going to be in bookstores is truly the best part of the job. Never gets old. So can you give us actually like a high level overview of your job and what you do (laughs) other than that great moment, which by the way, I'm like, God, I want to tell someone that. I don't know how I would do that if I change career paths, maybe. Freelance good news giver. (laughs) I I recommend it. Yeah, it's like being Ed McMahon with the giant shack. It's pretty exciting. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, I always say that agents wear several hats. One hat that we wear is an editor. You know, we are the first editor. We're the first reader. Often we give notes. A lot of people don't know that. They think that... um, that Marie is doing all the editorial work. And and while she's an amazing editor, she's not the only one. We get in there with our red pens first and get the manuscripts about as good as we can get them before we submit them. And then another hat is that sort of uh, probably what you think of when you think of an agent, that kind of deal maker, negotiator, you know, lawyer, even that kind of the person who's who's making the book deal happen and, and getting you the most money. There's also a matchmaker element to this job. One of the things that I do all the time is get to know editors, get to know people, hear about their taste, what they're looking for. When I'm in New York, I am constantly having lunches and drinks and meetings with editors and meeting new ones and hearing what's trending and, oh, this person is particularly looking for a holiday story or, you know, rom-coms are having a moment, which they are right now. So figuring out kind of who makes sense for who is a big part of this job. And then I always say the final hat that we wear is therapist. Yeah. Because, you know, (laughs) you you see someone at their most vulnerable. You know, I think almost all of my clients, I don't think it's happened with Becca yet, but 
most of them have cried to me at some point. Oh, I'm saving it for October. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm waiting put it, for put it. Put it on the calendar. Somebody's going to give me a really bad Goodreads review, which I'm still reading, and then I will call you crying. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, and I think it's actually the perfect job for me because those are all the careers that I considered. You know, at one point I thought about being an editor. I went to law school and thought about being a lawyer. I um, definitely thought about being a therapist. And, uh, and here I am. Wow, it's perfect. It is. Dream job, really. It truly is. Honestly, I feel very lucky. And if this whole industry collapses, I don't know what I'll do. So please don't. I think based on the shelves behind you alone, I think we're good for a while. Like I think everyone still loves and wants books. So I think you're good. Okay, so Becca, we've talked about this a little bit in our How a Book Gets Made series that we did last summer. We did an episode with Iman Hariri Kia and her agent, Taylor Haggerty, about finding an agent, what that process was like. What was your process like finding Allison or maybe her finding you, Becca? So I did not have the traditional process whatsoever. Allison found me and I have a ton of guilt over that, a ton of imposter syndrome that I didn't have to earn my stripes or go through that process that I've heard everyone talking about on other podcasts or in writer circles is being so traumatic. So I feel like I skipped the hard part in some ways. And I had a ton of guilt over it. And I have talked about this with my friends at length. And my friend Lydia said something which really made me feel a little bit better. And she said, okay, so maybe you didn't go through the query process, but you spent five years building a podcast and building this community so that your agent could find you. So it's not just that your dad was the president of of whatever and you just yeah. waltzed in the side door. And I was like, okay, I can see that. But anyway, all this is to say that Allison found me and one of Allison's other clients is Hannah Orenstein. And I remember Hannah texted me and asked me if I would be open to an introduction to Allison. But Allison, I don't actually know how you found me. Did Hannah send me to you or vice versa? No, actually. Oh, tell um, me a creepy story. <laughs> <laughs> and I just refreshed my memory of this uh, earlier today. So I had listened to the podcast before. You were sort of on my radar, Becca. And I think I didn't know that you were friends with Hannah. I'm sure Hannah had mentioned you at some point to me. I will admit I wasn't caught up on the podcast. And a friend of mine who happens to be an editor at HarperCollins texted me and said, and she's a huge fan of the podcast and was caught up and said, I think Becca Freeman is working on a book. You should reach out to her. And I immediately wrote to Hannah and I said, you know, will you connect me with your friend Becca? It sounds like she might be ready to talk to agents. So um, I have to give that person credit. I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yes, she she did bid on the book um, and didn't get it. But she's a, she's a huge fan and uh, will be, you know, supporting from the sidelines. <laughs> it was really funny because I, I'd had a couple of calls with other agents. And I remember I talked with Alice and I really liked you right off the bat. I just thought we had really good vibes and I really liked talking to you. And then I remember Allison was like, if you want, you can send, I was, this was, I think it was maybe in like It was November summer. of 2021. Was, oh, when you sent their initial chapters was November of 2021. No, no, no. When we first talked on the phone. Okay. I think that was, yes, that was later in 2022. No, 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 no. Like I, when Hannah introduced us, that was November. That was November 2021. I feel like Allison was like, if you want to send me some stuff, like feel free. And I was like, 
um, and I, I feel like I had this opportunity and I was like, I don't want to show anyone anything. I'm just hiding in my hole. And I sent Allison, I want to say it was like 50 or 75 pages of it. And I'm not I, even sure it was that. It was like three or four chapters, maybe? Yeah, it was like nothing. It was not a lot. No. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm showing somebody my book because I'm just telling myself that I, nobody ever has to see it. So she was the first person that I sent anything to. And Allison, what what was your impression of the book? I loved the setup so much. And I actually just, again, refreshed my memory of this. I emailed Becca on a Sunday, which I try not to do. I don't like to like establish that precedent, but I was so excited. And my the first line of my email was, I hope you don't mind my emailing you on a Sunday. But I just had to tell you that I read these chapters and I really loved them. I just loved that it was about a friendship. And that was established right away. A, a sort of funny insider thing is that the first chapter didn't used to be the current first chapter. The first chapter used to be the sort of flashback chapter where we see Hannah and Finn meet. And so right away, you see these characters meet, you see the, the friendship being established, you see the tradition being established. And I'm a huge, huge fan of books about friendship. And I just thought this is so special right away. I loved the characters right away. And I was I was totally intrigued. So I think in my email back, I wrote something like, um, I don't have much to say besides like, good job, keep going and please send me more. Well, that's like the best email you can get. Like, I'm sure it made Becca's entire like month or life more than that. <laughs> yeah. Year. So what happened after that, Becca? Did you just decide you want to work together? And that was, that was no. it? So then no. I needed to finish no. my draft and I left Allison just like hanging out there for nine months or so while I finished the first draft and then I did a second draft and I did a third draft. And finally, after the third draft, I decided I was ready to show some people and I sent it to five friends. I sent it to Allison and then I went to France. I got COVID in France and ended up staying there by myself. And I had asked <laughs> Allison, I said, please don't send me feedback until I'm back because I didn't want to be like refreshing my inbox or waiting for it and have it ruin the trip. But then I had COVID and so I was there and I remember her, I don't know if you texted or emailed me, but you were like, I know you didn't want feedback, but I like just wanted to let you know that I loved it and like, we'll talk when you're back. And I don't know, in my head, it was really important that Allison read the whole book before we decide to work together because I didn't want to just get caught up in how much I liked her and then have her be the wrong fit. So then I think in, it must've been July or August, Allison, July, Allison was visiting New York and we had drinks and we talked all about it. And I feel like Allison thought that I was like really dating around that I was like, not going to go with her maybe. And in my head, I was like, oh no, she's like my first choice. Definitely <laughs> Allison. And I, it was I the next day that you signed, which I, yeah, it definitely felt you're totally right. I was so nervous that I was going to have to, no. like, you know, compete with all these people. And I knew what a big deal you were. And so I was so excited when the next day you wrote to me oh. after we had met. No, I just wanted to make sure that you had the same view for the book or I don't know. I wanted to hear your thoughts before we worked together. So you weren't like, I love everything about it, but mm -hmm. like change everything. What I had forgotten, <laughs> Becca, is that we were supposed to meet several times before we finally did meet in July, but it, COVID kept ruining our plans. I remember that. I had totally forgotten. We were supposed to meet in December. We were going to have like a Christmas meeting for the Christmas book. 
And then it was like when that whatever variant was happening and we decided it was too dangerous. Then we were going to meet earlier that summer and I got COVID. Then Becca had COVID. I mean, it was like a comedy of errors. Like it kept (laughs) ruining. So it feels kismet now, but it was kind of stressful at the time. And I think I was worried that if I took too long, you would stop being interested. I don't know. Which would never have happened. But (laughs) So then... We signed official paperwork that we were going to work together. And then Allison sent me her notes. I remember two things stood out to me in her notes. One was she suggested writing a prologue for it because the book originally started. I was like, oh, yeah, the the story should start at the beginning of the story. And so it started when the two point of view characters, Hannah and Finn, meet for the first time. And Allison suggested adding a prologue because they meet when they're in college and she was like, we should see them as adults so that you don't get the wrong impression that this is going to be a younger book than it is. And so I thought that was great feedback. And then her second piece of feedback, which now I think is great feedback when she gave it to me, I had no idea what she meant, but her second piece of feedback was she wanted more big emotions. So wait, Allison, I feel like- Big feelings, big feelings. Big feelings, big feelings. You have many great pieces of advice, but I feel like you have like two trademark pieces of feedback that I know you offer a lot. And one is big feelings and the other is secrets. Secrets and reveals. Secrets secrets and and reveals. reveals. (laughs) Can you talk about why those are things you're always talking about? Yes, it's so true. I I want it on my tombstone. Big feelings, secrets (laughs) and reveals. You know, I'm a person who I love commercial fiction. I'm very kind of well-versed in commercial fiction. I have been as a reader my entire life and now as an agent. And I think that big feelings are really what drive any kind of fiction, in my opinion, but especially commercial fiction. People want to be moved, whether they're moved in a sad way, in a happy way. They want to really see the characters feel things. And I think that's how people connect to the story and connect to these characters. So, and we're seeing it even more, I think, in kind of what's trending in fiction. Um, If you look at the popularity of someone like Colleen Hoover, I mean, no one has bigger feelings than the characters in Colleen Hoover's books. And then Secrets and Reveals, I think, are really the key to commercial fiction plot. You always want the characters to be hiding things from each other and occasionally from the reader as well, because you want the reader to have a reason to be turning the pages to figure out what's going to happen. And if they know everything already, or if the characters know everything already, then there's just no reason to do that. Planning the Secrets and Reveals is really tricky. And, um, and, and it's especially tricky if you're writing, you know, a classic suspense novel. But even with something like this, you want those secrets and reveals. So I remember when the first time we had drinks, we talked about where those could come in and be even bigger than they already were. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't know what you were talking about with big feelings. But now I remember it's really funny because I went afterwards and I read a bunch of books that I loved. Like I, I know I reread Book Lovers and I, I highlighted all these things with a certain color for big feelings to try to figure out what you meant by it. And now it's so funny because I wasn't quite there. And now when I see it in a book, I'm like, oh, yes, this is what Allison means. So how many rounds of revisions or edits did you go through at that point with Allison? So we did one big round. And I think I took like six weeks until the end of the summer to write that. And then there was a smaller round after that of like a few other lingering questions or things to clean up. And then I had a breakdown where I was like, is this any good? And I remember calling Alice and I wasn't crying, but I was like, what's David's job? 
I was like, who is he? <laughs> Which is Hannah's boyfriend. I remember boyfriend. that. I, re- I remember we really tried to flesh him out. And without naming names, I decided that David was a friend of mine's husband. And I sent pictures to Becca. I was like, this is who he is. He's this guy. He's, he's him. <laughs> this man who I've never met, by the way. Just right. like Alice. Now I have all these husband. random pictures of him on my phone, which is <laughs> totally creepy. <laughs> well, it worked because I was rereading the book today, actually, just to refresh myself with some things before it comes out. And I can totally see him like perfectly. So success. Well, good. I'll tell you who he's based on after. We'll be, you can <laughs> be led into the secret circle. So we did, we did two rounds of notes and then we took the book on submission. So Allison, can you talk a little bit about how you decided where to submit the book? And then also, I know you were like wingmanning and you were just like fawning about town, talking about it beforehand too. Can you talk about that process? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the most fun parts of my job is that pre-fawning, you know, when you have something that you're really excited about, and you sit down with an editor like Marie and, and she says, okay, what do you've got? What have you got coming up? <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> Sounds like a drug and deal. <laughs> I get to say, oh my God, I have this really great project, you know? And it was really good timing specifically for Marie because, and I'll, I'm sure she will get into this in greater depth, but Marie works for Pamela Dorman Books, which is, you know, in my totally biased opinion, probably the best imprint there is out there in all of publishing. They've had massive success, everyone from Jojo Moyes to my author, Rosie Walsh, to 8,000 million other giant people. And Marie's boss, Pamela Dorman of Pamela Dorman Books, is someone I've known for a long time. And I knew that she wanted to expand the imprint and do sort of some more younger voices, some paperback originals, which were really coming into vogue. And Marie was part of that exciting expansion, sort of her her deputy. And so I, I think we were one of the first books that were bought as part of this expansion of the imprint. And it felt like this really exciting, you know, confluence of events that like they were looking for exactly this kind of book at exactly the right moment that I was sending it out. So that felt like a slam dunk, sending it to to Pam and Marie. But, you know, I think what was great about it was that I sent it to a lot of places and a lot of places were really excited about it. And I think the combination of the book feeling, you know, kind of like a rom-com, but also fresh in so many different ways. People loved that it was a friendship story. People loved that it was a Christmas book. I got so much interest just because of that. And then, of course, who Becca is and her platform made a huge difference, too. So it was it was like the easiest pitch I've ever done to uh, to tell people kind of what this book was and why they should want to read it. So, Becca, how are you feeling during this stage of the process when your book was about to be sent on submission or, or was on submission, I should say? I was feeling blind, terrified. <laughs> so I had this plan in my head. So we... We sent it on submission, I think it was late September. And then I fucked off to Europe. I was my friend Allie's date. It was October 4th that we submitted it. Oh, so it was like the day before I left. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I went to this wedding as my friend Allie's plus one. She was like, my weirdest friend is getting married in Spain. Do you want to come? And I was like, absolutely. (laughs) And so in my head, from like podcasts that I'd listened to or other people that I talked to, I had it in my head, then nothing happens for two weeks. 
And so I was like, oh, great. So I'll, I'll just go to Europe and distract myself while this is happening. And then I remember we started getting interest for like to have calls while I was in Spain. This was when we went to Rhonda. And so I was in Rhonda for part of the time. And then we were in Madrid. We were staying at this hotel and there was no desk. So I had this like side table with a trash can upside down on it. And I was like, had my laptop on it and I was taking Zoom calls at like four in the afternoon in Spain, which was like 10 a.m. in the U.S. And I remember saying to Allison at one point, I like, I didn't understand the process whatsoever. I remember saying to Allison, I was like, what do these calls mean? Like, what are these for? And she was like, oh, all these people want to buy your book. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> like, I thought we were just like having casual just chatting. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, we're just chatting. <laughs> sure. Let's take an ad break. So anyone who follows me on Instagram will know that the majority of new clothes that I have worn this year have been rented from Newly. I've been a loyal subscriber to Newly for years now, and I'm so excited to have them as an advertiser on the show again, especially since I always get questions about a discount code or sign up link. So stay tuned for that. For those of you who aren't familiar with Newly, it's a subscription clothing rental service that's all about helping you have fun and get creative with your style. Newly gives you your choice of any six styles each month. That's a lot of clothes, and you can choose whatever you want to rent for whatever events you have going on during any given month. There are thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. Newly carries labels like Free People, Selkie, Farm Rio, Anthropology, Eloquy, and Madewell. Plus, they offer petite and maternity sizing, as well as plus sizes up to 5X. Newly also includes fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility. One thing that I really love about Newly is that you can buy the pieces that you rent and love, sometimes up to 70% off. Just this month, I rented a dress from Free People, which arrived brand new, tags on. This is something that happens often with Newly, which I love. Immediately, I knew that I loved this dress so much that I wanted to keep it. I looked up the price to buy it and it was almost 50% off the full price, which was just such a win. And it's honestly my favorite dress I found in months. As someone who's trying to shop less than I have in the past, Newly allows me to scratch that shopping itch while saving money, experimenting with new styles and having fun with fashion. Plus knowing that I'm not constantly adding more clothes to my wardrobe that may just end up in a landfill in a year or two is an added bonus. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with code BOP20. Just go to NUULY.com. That's Newly with two U's. Enter the code BOP20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's NUULY.com. Newly with two U's with code BOP20. Newly subscription clothing rental change your clothes. Okay. So eventually, long story short, the book ended up with Marie, who has been very patiently I know, <laughs> Marie. listening to this chat. Marie, now is your time to shine. But tell us about this process from your end. So why were you excited about the book and why did it stand out to you as an editor? Sure. Yeah. So as Allison said, she had started fawning about this book to my boss, Pam, who then came to my desk and said, hey, 
in a couple of days, we're going to have something coming in from Allison Hunter and it's supposed to be really good. So I knew that I would need to clear my schedule so that I could read it as quickly as possible. When it landed in my inbox, I started reading right away and was initially drawn in because Becca did such a good job writing about New York. That was the first thing that got me excited about the book because New York is so magical. It's one of my favorite places. And you could tell that she wrote from the perspective of someone who lives here and loves it for what it is instead of this, you know, idealized tourist version of New York. So that's what grabbed me from the first chapter. So as I continued to read, I was getting more and more invested in this group of friends. That was something that really spoke to me as well. I love kind of like defined boundaries of a group of people, if that makes sense. I love a a family, a group of friends, someone who knows what their cohort is and kind of likes to keep it secure in that way. I've always been that way with my friendships. And I thought it was a lot of fun to see that kind of friendship depicted in this book. And then there's this emotional aspect to the book too, that just really kind of floored me. I think one of the greatest pleasures in reading is to have your own experience illuminated by the story in a way you didn't expect. And the Christmas Orphans Club really struck me in that way. It taught me something about how I navigate the world. And I was really taken with it. And I think it was once I started to get into the emotional aspects of the story that I was like, oh, not only am I loving this read, but this is something that I have to work on. This is an author that I have to work with. That is what elevated the story for me from something that I really enjoyed taking in as a reader to something that I wanted to be a part of the publishing process for. Maria, I'm going to cry. I'm just looking at Becca's face (laughs) while you're saying this. so nice. I I mean, every word of it. This is a really special book to me. And, you know, if it were just a fun funny, romantic, friends-based book, that would be enough because Becca did a good enough job with those elements too. But then there's also this layer of emotion that I think she just handled so beautifully. Big feelings. Um, Big feelings, (laughs) yes. Okay, well, Becca, why were you excited to work with Marie and Pamela Dorman books and have that be like your book home for this book? Oh my gosh. So we ended up taking calls with 10 different editors and publishing houses. And before each of them, I would go on Publishers Marketplace, which is this like members site where it has all the deals listed for people. And I would like be like, okay, who are these people and and what have they published? And I remember before getting on the call, I looked up Pam and Pam, I was like on the floor, like Pam edited Bridget Jones's Diary. Pam edited The Secret Life of Bees. She edited Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I was like, why does this woman want to talk to me? You know, I was so <laughs> starstruck from like the book world talking to them. And then I remember getting on the phone and I was, I was probably more scared for that call than any of the other calls we took just because of Pam's reputation. We got on the call and I just remember really liking them too. So it was like, oh my gosh, there are these people who are so prolific and have worked on this incredible body of work, but they're also really nice people. And I really liked them. And I felt like both Pam and Marie had such astute notes 
And Allison, I don't know if you remember this, but before we went on submission, I had said to you, I was like, okay, I feel like I've taken it as far as I can. And now I really want somebody to be in the trenches with me. And you had this like come to Jesus call with me kind of where you were like, just so you know, like that's not always how it works. Like, especially with the debuts, like a lot of editors won't necessarily get in the weeds with you and they want something that's already polished and already perfect. I really, really wanted to be edited. And on some of the calls that we took, I felt like people were just blowing smoke up my ass and they're like, it's fantastic. It's great. And then Marie and Pam, I feel like they immediately pointed out like the things in the book that I was most insecure about, which wasn't bad, which I was like, oh, good. You see this too. (laughs) We can fix this as opposed to everyone else. It was like, oh, it's great as is. And I was like, but what about X, Y, Z? And so I, I really loved their view on the project too. And I was like, oh, the things that you want to fix are also the things that I want to fix about it. It's an interesting life lesson. If you go into a first meeting with someone and immediately point out all their insecurities, then you win. (laughs) Yes. I think that's what every listener should take away from this. Just operate that way and you'll make friends everywhere. (laughs) Um, So Marie, can you talk a little bit about what is happening on your side between buying the book and then sending initial feedback? I got the best email in the world, which is subject line, all caps, you got it from Allison. (laughs) And I jumped out of my chair. I was beyond thrilled. I was so excited. Pam wasn't in the office that day. So I gave her a call. We screamed together. I remember taking excited laps around the office floor because I just needed to burn (laughs) some energy. And then... The next few days, of course, are slightly less fun because you have to work on a lot of paperwork, a lot of contract-related paperwork and just kind of like getting all of the more boring details in order. And I think it was shortly after that point that we had this realization, if we want to publish the book in fall of 2023, we have to get going immediately on the edits. It was an extremely tight timeline, um, much tighter than the typical timeline which is usually about 12 to 18 months after acquisition is when we'll publish. But in this case, we were down to 11 months. So I knew that we would need to jump into edits as soon as possible. And in some ways, that's fun because I was already on this high of having just met Becca, having just gotten this book. And so to be able to dive into editing right away was exciting. Becca and I worked on, I want to say, two drafts from there. Were there three? That's like Two and a quarter. Two and a, two and a quarter drafts from there. We spent a lot of time on the phone together, kind of talking back and forth about plot points, which I personally found really inspiring, like creatively fulfilling. I thought that was a lot of fun. I know that Becca was stressed out, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Becca, how did you feel when you got Marie's initial feedback, which I'm assuming came in the form of like a traditional like edit letter, editorial letter. Yeah. So I got the edit letter. I want to say it was maybe like six or so weeks after we officially sold the book. And the edit letter was, oh, I wish I'd pulled this up before. I want to say it was like four pages, single spaced. Like it was a chunky letter. And I remember Allison calling me right after it came in and her asking me how I felt. And I was like, I feel like it's really fair. Like I felt like everything that Marie said was 
really justified and really fair. And I was really excited to be edited. And in those four pages, you know, there's constructive criticism, but there's also a lot of ideas about, you know, how you might approach fixing some of these things or what you might consider incorporating. So I felt really excited. I just immediately felt like Marie really got it. And I was really excited. And then there were like a few stupid things that I was, I was like really angry and defensive about, not angry, but I remember like one of the notes that I I was like, absolutely not was in the first chapter, Finn is wearing a cape and Marie's like, I feel like the cape's a little too much. Like, I feel like it's a little cheesy. And I was like, he has to wear the cape, obviously, like the least important thing. I do and remember the cape from the previous versions now that you say it. I'm not sure I realized the cape went away. I think. No, it's still there. Was, it's still okay, there. I was going to say, I feel like the cape remained. She, oh, she came remain? around to it. I think we like smoothed out some of the ostentatious bits in other oh, okay. ways. But I was like, no, I just I could see it in my head really cinematically. I was like, no, he's wearing a cape. Like, I just don't know what to tell you. He's wearing a cape. <laughs> but you know, like when the things that you're disagreeing over are like the teeny bits of, should this guy be wearing a cape or not? When they're playing dress up, you know, I was like, on the macro level, everything she said was absolutely completely fair and valid. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is right. And I, I really, I felt really stressed about wanting to make sure this book was the best it could be. And so- I wanted to hear those things from Marie or from Allison or from somebody else rather than to hear it on the back end from somebody on Goodreads. So I was like, okay, yes. I, I remember being like very excited about it. Yeah, Becca's a very hard worker. So everything that we talked about thoroughly considered, she put a lot of time Except for and the work. <laughs> yeah, maybe you just pretended to consider the <laughs> for my benefit. <laughs> but I think that's part of what I enjoyed so much about this process is that there was some really interesting conversation about every choice she made. And I think that that's one of my favorite parts about working with creative people is hearing about their choices and why they think something is right and why they think something could go a different way or could never go a different way and how that might affect the rest of the story. So I really enjoyed having those conversations with Becca. And when I first met her back during the acquisitions process, something I wanted to suss out from that first call was how is she going to work? How does she think about her creative process and her storytelling? And I kind of knew from the get-go that she was a very smart storyteller and very dedicated and that our work together would be productive. And it was for those months that we worked on the edits together. I think we ended around early February. Is that right, Becca? That's when my portion of the edits ended and we went to copy editing. Oh, I was going to say January, but you could be right. Not an important distinction. Yeah, yeah, not, not a key decision. But some people may not realize that I do not do the grammar and punctuation copy editing. Neither do I. I do the content. <laughs> So it was at that point when we handed it over to the copy editors. It makes me feel really happy hearing you speak about this so positively because Marie was such a saint. She spent so much time on the phone with me. And especially a lot of this was happening over holidays. So my first round of edits was over Thanksgiving. And then my second round, almost all of the second round of edits was over their office being closed for Christmas. And I remember Marie getting on the phone with me at least two or three times during that time to brainstorm. And I will say, 
I did not foresee this for myself, but especially in the second round of edits, like I became the panicky, needy, cliched depiction of an author. And like, I do remember this time. I was going to say, I remember too. I remember Becca calling me on like, December 21st and being like, where is Marie? And I'm like, Marie is on vacation because it's December 21st. You wrote a book about Christmas. Yeah. Oh, it was the worst. I was truly the worst because I was like, the last round was all of the stickiest bits that I didn't know how to solve. And so like, that's all you have. And you're just like, just have six things I don't know how to fix. Like what happens now? <laughs> so... Marie was so lovely and generous with her time and such a thoughtful brainstorming partner that like she really had to hold my hand through that last round of edits, which I'm so grateful for you doing in general, but even more so because it was when you were off for the holidays. Well, I think that's why it's so important that agents and editors and authors come together over a shared passion for the book. Like we all have to love what we're working on. And because of that, it was a pleasure. Like, yes, I was on vacation, but I cared so much about this book and I loved working with you. And so those conversations, they were still great. That's very generous of you. (laughs) (laughs) It all worked out the the way it was supposed to. I feel like Olivia is like, I was there. You were a monster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, you were not a monster, but I was there. And I also think to a certain degree, all the listeners were too. Cause I remember it was like, it would be, we do highs and lows and it would be like, my low is I am spiraling. (laughs) And then the next would be like update. I am still spiraling, but that's totally normal. It's a lot when you put so much time and effort and energy and emotion into something. And then it's like reaching this, this conclusion. So we finished up the main edits to the book in somewhere in January or February. So about like nine months before launch. And I know a lot of what happens next is other teams outside of editorial, but can you give us the high level of what's happening during that period in-house? It is other teams, but editorial is still pretty involved. In some ways, we act like project managers as the book moves through the rest of the company. So the first thing I do, which is really exciting, is I get to pitch the book internally to our marketing and publicity and sales departments and try to drum up excitement and get everyone on board and help my colleagues understand why I'm so passionate about the book that I've just acquired. And then we start to write some descriptive copy that gets circulated around to our sales department who can send it out to accounts and to libraries and things like that. We also start to work with our art department on designing the cover, which is one of my favorite parts because I really don't have much of a visual brain. It always just astounds me that designers can come up with this incredible representation of a book for the book cover. And I love watching what they come up with. So that's always a fun part. And then we get to work with our marketing and publicity teams as they start to develop their campaign for getting the book out there. And introducing the marketers and publicists to the author is always exciting. We kind of get to have this team meeting where we're all rah, rah, can't wait to get going on this book and start to develop these relationships. We also will start to send the book out once it's polished enough to other authors in hopes that they will provide praise quotes that we call blurbs that can go on the cover of the book. 
or other readers will see them online, on social media, on the Barnes and Noble website, for example, and will compel them to read. So a lot of those nine months between editing and publication is about drumming up excitement for the book, which is a lot of fun if you're already so psyched for the book to come out, you dedicate these months to cheering it on and making sure everyone else is as excited as you are. Comps are obviously a huge part of the sales process when it comes to books. If you, Marie, were describing who this book is for, you know, if you like this book, then you should try this. What would you say? I think this book is for readers of Josie Silver, Sophie Cousins, people who like that warmth, that sweetness, but it's also quite modern. You know, it's not sappy by any means. I think that it's for the readers of a lot of major rom-com authors, including Emily Henry, but it's not exactly like an Emily Henry book in a way that I think is really exciting and great. It feels fresh. It feels like its own thing. And I think it's going to become its own comp and people will start comping other books too. Oh my God, imagine. It's going to happen. Imagine. And then to step away from comps for a second, it's also for readers who like to think about big life changes that are floating on the horizon. Readers who like to think about the ways that they relate to their friends and their communities and their cities. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Becca, you get the final question as the author of the hour. What was the high and the low, speaking of highs and lows, of the entire publishing process so far? Well, I feel like the high keeps changing because every new milestone becomes the high. I mean, I think that selling my book was such a high because it's something that I wasn't even sure that was going to happen and it's legitimizing in some way and it felt like this huge, huge milestone. So that will stay a high. But then getting to like hold the physical book in my hand for the first time, I was so emotional. It was so incredible. I'm sure launch day will be another high. I'm sure getting to celebrate with all of you at events is going to be another high. So the highs just keep on coming. I would not thoroughly recommend that second round of edits. That was a very panicky time (laughs) that I was not feeling great. So that might have been, that might have been a low. Worth it though. Worth it. Absolutely. Couldn't have gotten here without it, but like did not feel excellent. (laughs) Was not a pleasant person to be around. (laughs) You were you were pleasant. I think it was totally yeah, understandable. Was, from my point of view, you were not unpleasant. <laughs> you were doing really hard work. It was very hard. That was definitely the most challenging part to be out of the easy stuff or the things that you see a path for than to just be like, well, I'm down to the dregs of the last things that I can't fix. So here we are. <laughs> but, but you took your work seriously. And that's important. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Well, even as someone who has had the pleasure of being around for most of these highs and lows, this was such a cool episode to, I don't know, just hear it all kind of unfold. And I think listeners will feel the same. And uh, thank you both for being here and telling us about this wonderful process and just celebrating Becca's achievement. Thank you so much. Always. Thank you for being my book fairy godmothers. Thank you for making this happen. It's been such a pleasure. My absolute pleasure. I'm always here to celebrate Becca. One last quick ad break. So 
this whole episode is basically an ad for my book, The Christmas Orphans Club, but this is your reminder to pre-order if you found this discussion interesting and you want to read the book. Even if it's a little early for you and you don't plan on reading the book until closer to Christmas, I'd still love you to buy it now. Pre-orders help show publishers and retailers excitement about a book, and I want them to know that I have this whole community of book lovers behind me. The Christmas Orphans Club is available wherever books are sold. It is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook on September 26th. All right, Olivia, what are you obsessed with? I'm obsessed with the song All-American Bitch by Olivia Rodrigo. I liked Olivia Rodrigo's previous album. I like her music, but I'm not like a super fan. I had no like big expectations for this album, but I listened to this song at the gym the other day. And I was like, yes, I love everything about this. It's like this weird combination of like Alanis Morissette, but also like Avril Lavigne. And I don't know. I just really love it. And um, I think it's great. I think she's great. I've been really interested in the interviews with her about this album too. If you read any of those, there was a great Rolling Stone one. I've seen writers sharing a lot of them actually, because she talks about, I guess, basically like being really preoccupied with perception of her second album and what people would think of it, right? Yeah. What are you obsessed with? Okay, I'm obsessed with two things. So I have decided that the balm to my pre-book anxiety is that I am going to rewatch Gilmore Girls. I am plowing through it, just plowing through it. And it's been five or six years since I last watched it. And it's really, really interesting rewatching now. I'm 37. I'm older than Lorelai in season one. But then I also, I'm just seeing it through such a different lens Mm -hmm. than I have at any point in the past. And so even though I've seen the show probably four or five times, it feels very fresh because my perspective is so different. In a good way? In an interesting way. Mm. Rory's more annoying (laughs) I can see Lorelai's toxicity a lot more, but then I can also see the toxicity in her relationship with her own mother in a way that in the past I maybe wasn't thinking too hard about. So it's interesting. Good to know. And then the other obsession that I have is, I don't know if you are a The Morning Show fan, but The Morning Show is back with season three. And I watched the first two episodes last night. And I just think that's one of the best shows on television. So I loved season one, dropped off season two, and I like kind of didn't realize it was coming back for season three. So maybe I'm kind of out of things to watch. So I might have to, I might have to bring it back. You should. I really liked season two. I had somebody DM me and say that they didn't really. So maybe I'm overly rosy on the whole endeavor, but I'm excited. John Hamm's in it now. Oh, I'm in. (laughs) Great. What about books? What have you read? I read None of This is True by Lisa Jewell, which I'm seeing everywhere right now. Me too. I've also listened to a lot of interviews with her because she's been on a lot of writing podcasts. Oh, I'll have to I'll have to listen. I am like screening a few like thriller e creepy-ish books for October Book Club. And this is one of them that I'm considering. This was a really fun thriller. It was one of the most like unput downable thrillers that I've read in a while. This is about a woman who has a successful podcast and she goes out for her birthday and she meets this woman who has the same birthday as her, born in the same hospital. And then their lives kind of overlap in this really interesting way. And uh, creepiness ensues. But it was a really fun read and a lot to discuss. So it's a contender. If anyone has really strong thoughts about it, let us know in the Facebook group. 
What about you? What have you read? I am very slow on the reading front because I have no focus whatsoever. But the book that I am reading right now, which I'm really enjoying, so my focus is not a commentary on the book. It's on my pre-book jitters. I am reading Fool Me Once by Ashley Winstead, which is her first rom-com that she wrote. So I read The Boyfriend Candidate, which is a loosely connected sequel to this earlier this year, and I loved it. And so now I'm looping back for the first one. And it is about this woman who is a badass at her job, but is a complete hot mess outside of her job in every other regard. And she finds out that this guy who she once had a relationship with is now the person in charge. She works for a a kind of female-owned Tesla-esque company, and he's now the person in charge of this big piece of legislation that she's trying to get passed. It's really fun. And it also feels very different than a lot of rom-coms just because of how cynical and truly messy this character is. So I'm really (laughs) enjoying it. It feels like something outside of the norm. Good. And if none of those appeal to you, we also have our September book club coming next week. And we're reading Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. This book is everywhere right now. I feel like so many in-person book clubs are doing it for their book club pick, which I completely see why. The story is about a woman in her mid-50s who, during COVID lockdown, is telling her adult daughters the story of how she dated a now very famous actor when she was in her 20s and how her road not traveled was that she almost became an actress herself. The book is so engaging and thought-provoking at the same time. It really is like so fast-paced. I loved it. And bonus, if you were an audiobook person or if you were a Meryl Streep person, Meryl Streep narrates the audiobook. Pretty amazing. Yes. So that is what we've got for you today. Come chat with us in the Facebook group. You can find us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm at Olivia Mentor. And we will see you next week, which is book launch week. I know. And by God, if you have gotten to the end of this episode and not pre-ordered Becca's book, well, please, for the love of God, do it now. (laughs) That's an order. A nice order from me. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Bye. 